Well, I want to welcome you all to another Daily Decade, your rosary on the road. It's only been a few hours since the last recording uh, last night, so I don't have any new intentions in the inbox, and I don't even have any intentions of people that have spoken to me. I have some intentions of people I think need prayers, and I'll offer those, but I encourage you to send in your own intentions and any prayer requests you might have to daily decade requests at protonmail.com. That's decade D E C A D E. Requests in the plural at protonmail.com. And I'll be uh, just delighted to pray for you. And if you have any questions or comments or anything at all that you'd like me to hear or you'd like me to know, I encourage you to go ahead and send those in as well. I'm always happy to answer any questions with limited knowledge that I have or at least point people in the direction of someone who can answer the questions. I'm no theologian, though I have some aspirations to that title. Uh, I know enough not to claim it. At any rate, if you have questions about anything or if there's anything that I've said you know, it's been a long time since I said it, but I, I don't have any teaching authority. I'm just a layman, not a priest, and as a result of that, I can get things wrong. So if I've said anything in the last few, and I have, I guess I have talked about theology a bit in the last few of these. So if I've said anything in the last few broadcasts that contradicts the dogmas, accepted doctrines of the Holy Church, then revoco, I, revoco, I, I recant. I don't want to have any of that on me. So, uh, but if you notice me going off the rails at any point, uh, do write in and let me know. <laughs> For today, let's turn our attention to God. I'd like to pray. I've got two friends that I know who are with child and getting ready to uh, deliver. And so I, I want to pray for them. And I want to pray for everybody out there who's uh, either recently had a baby or is getting ready to have a baby. Uh, all the women out there that are either becoming mothers for the first time or becoming mothers for uh, a, a new time. Uh, I often say every time I have a uh, we have a baby, I always become a I I love becoming a dad again. It's a uh, it's a wonderful experience to become a father again and again with each new child, and and to encounter that to meet that that child uh, for the first time you know fathers of many children at least in my experience are not fathers of many children as a whole but there are many different fathers they're fathers of of each individual child altogether and completely i wouldn't say that any no honest person or no good parent would say that they become less of a parent to their other children when they have a new child but they become more of a parent to everybody that's the marvel of having many children you really it really does make you a better parent to all your children if you have at least speaking as a father i've become a better father the more children i have anyway and all with the same woman <laughs> anyway uh just a tangent there so I want to pray for anyone who's having a baby or who has recently had a baby uh, for the health of that child, uh, for the health of the mother, and for the swift baptism of the child and the uh, spiritual well-being of mother and father both. Now today is a Wednesday, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's a Wednesday. So we're going to go ahead and, custom, as, as is our custom, we're going to go ahead and pray in Latin. 
in nomine Patris Affidiates, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Pater Noster, qui est in Ceris, sanctificator nomen tuum, adveniat regum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cielo et in terra, panam nostrum quotidianam da nobis odie, et midi nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimidimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Gloria Patri, et Fidio, et Spiritui Sancto, sicur erat principio, et nunc, et semper, et in saecula saeculorum. Amen. Salve, Regina, Mater Misericordia, vita dulcedo et spes nostre, salve. Ad te clamamus, exulis filiaevi, ad te suspiramus, dementes et flentes, in hac lacrimarum, pale. Ea ergo, advocata nostra, 
illus tuus misericordes oculus ad nos converte, et Jesum beatum fructum ventris tui, nobis postuc exilium ostende, a clemens opia, ul dulci virgo Maria. Ora per nobis, sancta Dei genetrix, ut dignis officiamur missionibus Christi. Paremus. Pour forth we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ, thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. For all those in labor, for all those with child, for all those lately having had children, St. Gerard, pray for us. For all of us in our daily travails, our daily labors, our daily struggles and pains, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Sacritissimum Coriezum Miserere Nobis. Sacritissimum Coriezum Miserere Nobis. Sacritissimum Coriezum Adveniat Regnum Tuum. In nomine Patris, Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. I was reading, or have been reading, and continue to be reading, The uh, Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. And as I was reading it yesterday, and it was shortly yesterday, it was Tuesday, so it was the Sorrowful Mysteries, and I had another thought, and I, I feel like I keep going back to this subject, and the reason why I do is because it's one that doesn't get very broadly addressed. Uh, Anthony Stein, on his Return to Tradition podcast, which is really excellent, it's a nice little like 10-minute clip that you can get, and uh, it, I listen to it when I'm doing my chores in the morning before I leave the house. He has a bit on this when he talks about, uh, he was commenting on, um, I forget who it was, one of those archbishops recently, or cardinals, says something about receiving communion properly. And uh, um, Anthony had remarked that there was no mention of going to frequent confession. And that was sad, but, you know, you take what you can get. And we've all, we all sort of take what we can get these days and just be happy with what we can get out of the hierarchy. I don't mean to attack the hierarchy, as I've said before. They're just as weak as the rest of us, and they have bigger burdens. But it got me thinking about a subject that, as just as Anthony highlighted, the confession doesn't get talked about a lot these days. It's very rare to hear a prelate, outside of traditional circles anyway, uh, talk about the cross and talk about the bearing of the cross and what and how essential that is to uh, to Christian living. You cannot be a Christian unless you take up the cross and bear it. And every action of Satan against you ultimately comes down to a rejection of the cross of Christ. That's why when Christ says that he has to go and be crucified, St. Peter responds with that, that that should not be the case, that we should stop that from happening. He says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. It's at that point that Christ is really highlighting just how central the cross is to Christianity in general, to everything that he's revealing, to the true doctrine 
that Christ has. And so to talk about Christianity and not to talk about the cross is, well, you're not really talking about Christianity at that point. You're talking about a sort of substitute. So I guess I shouldn't feel weird about the fact that I bring up the cross so often or the bearing of the cross so often since that's what we're all called to do. And the rosary is a, a means of training ourselves to do so. At any rate, it occurred to me that most of our problems seem to come from refusing to bear the cross. Now what does it mean to reject the cross, and, and how do we do it? Well, we all do it when we complain. That's one of the passages that I see in, um, in the Imitation of Christ. We, I run into this, uh, I forget where this passage was now, which chapter it was. I wish I could give you a citation. But in there, uh, Kempis goes on and he talks for a little bit. There's a dialogue between disciple and Christ. And the disciple talks about how we can do nothing without Christ. If it weren't for Christ, we wouldn't have anything. You know, our, our lives are so, uh, we're so weak and so tied to the world that it would all be meaningless but without, without Christ. And this sounds to us like a very positive spiritual message. It sounds like what we hear very frequently from the monastics and the great fathers of the church. And Christ, Kempis writing as in the dialogue, Christ's response to this is, why do you complain? Don't complain. And there are, and there are complaints. Things are hard, and it's hard to do things. It's, it's impossible to do things without Christ, and it's hard to do them with him. But even here, as we highlight and recognize that Christ is the only way for us to be successful in any of our endeavors, even there, there's this reluctance to take up the cross. And the great saints of the church were never reluctant for a cross. St. Francis of Assisi and Catherine of Siena, Teresa of Avila, uh, the list could go on and on. These are all saints that begged, Rose of Lima, these are all saints that begged for the cross. They begged for suffering. They wanted it desperately. They wanted to suffer with Christ. And it was, their hearts were so united to God that they could see suffering as something deeply desirable, not just as a necessity, but something desirable. And for most of us, I know for myself in particular, Sure, you, you, you suffer, and you suffer silently, and you, you take what's dealt to you because you have to, and it's unnecessary. I know that I should be doing it. Intellectually, I understand Christ suffered. I need to suffer as a Christian in order to be more Christ-like. But I can't claim to desire the suffering as a means to glorify God. I, I, intellectually, I want to glorify God. I want to be close to Him. But really deep down inside spiritually and I I don't think that I'm presuming to say that this is true of most people we don't really want suffering we don't really want the cross and desire it with love for it and for the suffering of Christ and for his sake in the way that the great saints did and so we see the need to, to push back against the suffering that's sent to us I was thinking about this particularly in terms of what's going on in the world right now because we do have a lot of and you get torn between two sides you know do you uh, do you do you fight back do you not fight back when you're not fighting back is that cowardice is it bearing the cross and I, th that's not really what I want to discuss right now because it's it's not edifying in the same way as recognizing where our and it it also 
it's the reason why it's not edifying is because it doesn't recognize where our broader failures have been. The nation of Ireland, and I know I bring up Ireland very often, it's because I'm, I'm Irish by blood, and I have an interest in the country, and also because they find themselves in something of a unique circumstance. Ireland is the only country to have legalized infanticide by referendum rather than by judicial process. In most other cases, the courts made the decision. The people had to go along with it. Uh, now, you can say what you will about the toothlessness of the pro-life movement in the United States. At least we can say that the U.S., the Critarchy, is what forced infanticide upon us. Ireland voted on that as, refer as a part of a referendum. They actually wanted it. The people. That's, and it doesn't matter whether the vote was rigged or whether it was faked or anything like that. Enough people in the country voted that they could push it over. They didn't have to make up the results. Ireland right now is the only country where access to the sacraments is completely denied. It's very difficult not to see some measure of causation there. Now, you could say that God doesn't punish people in that way, peoples in that way, nations in that way. I'm sure a good theological argument could be made that that's the case. But what's more spiritually beneficial to the Irish people? To assume that they're being punished and to do more penance as a result? Or to rebel against the punishment or rebel against their situation completely and not do any penance at all, but treat the Mass as their right from the Church? Even if, there, even if this isn't God's punishment, more penance is only helpful in bringing us closer to God, but nobody's thinking that way. Now, I'm not saying that everybody should just lay down and let the atheists, communistic, Masonic governments trample on all... I forgot, I forgot to mention the, the financiers and who else did I mention? The noses, the tiny hats. I'm not saying that everyone should just lay down and let all anti-Christians trample all over all of us. The church has never said that. You're not to be a doormat. To turn the other cheek has a very specific meaning. But Christians should stand bravely, not, coward, not in a cowardly manner, but stand bravely and accept martyrdom. That's something the church has taught. But what I am saying is, it seems to me that the first reaction of a truly Christian nation and this doesn't go for Ireland, it goes for everybody. The first reaction of a truly Christian nation when they encounter hardship or suffering should be to ask, what have we done to merit this? And how can we do penance so that we do not merit it? And throughout the entire pandemic, plandemic, scamdemic, whatever you want to call it, whether it's real, fake, whatever, throughout the entire thing, no one, has, as a group, asked the question, what have we done to deserve this and how can we make reparation to God for it? And that's the cross the people are rejecting. And broadly, the European people, and I mean this across the entire globe, European colonials in America, Australia, Canada, elsewhere, the, the European colonials in South America, all European peoples anywhere where the West exists, we had a burden 
placed upon our shoulders by God historically to bring Christ to the rest of the world because only in Europe did Christianity flourish to the extent that it flourished. Only in Europe is the seat of Rome. It's the center of the church. And we had an obligation to bring that to the rest of the world. And we reneged on that obligation. We turned imperialism into a game of power rather than a means to spread the gospel which it should have been. The Spaniards never forgot what they were doing. And they, well, they did eventually with the Bourbons. They screwed everything up, but I'm not going to get into the history of all of that. For the most part, the Spaniards, up until the Bourbons, they knew what they were doing, and they did well as a result of it. You notice that Spain's collapse and, and, and its complete implosion actually rather accompanies the abandonment of the mission that they had in their colonies. And even, there's even an anti-Christian, and when I say anti-Christian, I don't mean in the sense that it's against Christianity, but it's in the place of this notion of the white man's burden, which is a, a Freemasonic idea that shows up in, in English colonialism. That's a mockery of what we actually have placed on our shoulders. It's a cross that we've rebelled against. Well, when you, and you rebel against the cross, what happens? Everything collapses. Everything implodes. How else do you, describe, how else do you explain a group of people who went from controlling the entire planet to now being a hunted, and, I, and really, truly hunted, if you read the media and you look at the things that they say about this group of people they call white people, it, that, that which is people of European stock, I mean, that's the reality, that's what they say. A hunted minority. It went from ruling the world to being a hunted minority. That doesn't happen without the hand of God as quickly as it did. It took less than a hundred years. That doesn't happen without the hand of God. And it's because of the rejection of the cross. Now, if entire civilizations, entire races can be brought low by the hand of God over the rejection of the cross, what does that say about us individually who reject our individual crosses? Each of us has the Christian man's burden. Man's burden, not just Christian man's burden. Because all men are burdened with the obligation to become Christians tie themselves to the church. There is no salvation outside of her. We all have the obligation to tie ourselves to the church and to take up the burden of the cross and to love that burden, to embrace it, to desire it like the saints did, and embracing it and desiring it to make it our salvation. And so, on top of the spiritual reflections and the meditations on how to pray and you know this is a prayer cast we talk about prayer that's our goal part of our prayer should always be the meditative prayer where we look inside ourselves and ask ourselves in what way have I borne my cross and in what way have I thrown it down today and if we ask that question every day we'll find that the, the cross leaves our shoulders less frequently and we become more accustomed to it. And we embrace the labor that it represents that we might, in the end, our souls might bring forth a, a new spirit of resurrection within ourselves. And that's my prayer today, that that is what happens for all of us, that all of us have 
all of us embrace the travail of our lives, our spiritual lives, and embrace our crosses, and in so doing, are rewarded with the resurrection being born within our hearts and souls. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.